Welcome to another episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. Today on the podcast, I share a conversation I had this summer with Jada Edwards. In our conversation, Jada shares her story of becoming a woman with a passion for teaching and preaching the word. Although Jada currently leads a Bible study to over 1,000 women each week, Jada talks about how she has wrestled with feeling unqualified for the role God has put her in. Jada also shares how much of her life she has battled with the label of feeling like she was too much. Finally, we talk about the new Bible study series that Jada was part of creating called Known by Name. Jada uses her gift of teaching to give us insight to the series and tells us which one of the women of the Bible whose stories she can relate to most. Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I appreciate you joining me today. Well, I'm glad to be here. Today, we're going to talk about your story, your Bible study. Um, but for those women that don't know you, can you just kind of introduce yourself, um, your family, your day-to-day life, that sort of thing? Oh, gosh. How long do I have? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> as long as you want. My family and day-to-day life is crazy. I am a mom of two little people, uh, six and two, and... I am married, married now 18 years. So married a long time before the little people came along. And before the little people came along, my husband and I started a church called One Community Church in the North Texas area, technically in Plano, Texas. We've been doing that church for about 10 years and it's now four locations, which keeps us uh, busy. And um, so there I teach Bible study twice a month. I lead worship sometimes. I'm over the creative ministry. And my husband obviously is lead pastor teaching all the time. So that keeps us pretty busy um, in addition to um, other things that we're doing with ministry. And so um, when we can, uh, we get away for a little bit, um, a little bit with the kids, a little bit without the kids and try to recharge. But yeah, pretty much family and local church and writing ministry is my life right now. Okay. And like you just said, you teach a Bible study twice a month and that Bible study is huge. Like it's not just a little small group at your home. It is no, a large it's not. Bible study. Yeah, it's probably about 1,400 women that come out uh, for Bible study twice a month. And so I, we continue to be blown away. You know, um, at first, I think we, we stumbled into that haphazardly. People always say, oh, what a cool idea to do um, men's and you know women's Bible study. And it's really because when we were in our church planning phase, we were you know doing everything in a hotel for about four years before we got a building. And we just couldn't, um, we just didn't have a place for childcare. So when we decided we wanted to do Bible study, we said, well, we'll have to pick men on one night and women on the other so the kids can stay home with the spouse. Yeah. And so that was the only reason we did it. And then it just kind of stayed that way. It kind of created a, um, a little subculture of our men and women without having to do a bunch of events for men's and women's ministry. We just had this yeah. rhythm of meeting twice a month and it really kind of helped, um, I think, be a catalyst for our church. So it kind of has created our own little vibe. The men have their vibe, the women have their vibe midweek, and then obviously together on the weekend. So it, yeah, it's turned I out love- to be pretty that's so cool. I love that idea. I mean, I've led Bible studies on and off for the last, gosh, 10 years. And it's just usually, you know, it's a weekly thing. And um, But the every other week and why you did it, I mean, that's an awesome idea. And obviously, you um, 
just have you God's marked you to teach women like that. Um, one of the things I read in your bio, your bio, you said she's committed. It says she has committed her life to equipping women of all ages with practical biblical truth to help them live more genuine lives. So that's what I want to hear about your story is how you got there. Did you always know that you were God had chosen you to lead women um, in this manner or tell me about your process? Because I'm guessing it was quite a it was a process to get where you are. Yeah, it was. And, and I, mean, I think for a lot of people, which is also true for me, a bit of disobedience, a bit of disobedience and hesitation and doubt mm-hmm. on my part probably delayed uh, the inevitable. Um, but I remember being it, officially when it came to the ministry part, I remember being around, oh, 15. And the first time I felt like that God, God had really said, hey, this is I've got more for you. And I remember just being very afraid because at the time he actually laid on my heart uh, missions. I thought it was missions. I remember sitting in a mission Sunday at my church and sitting there, had to be 14 or 15. And I was like, gosh, it looks so great to go all over the world and teach the Bible and change lives. And I was like, I don't think I want to be poor. That's what I was thinking as a 14 year old girl. And so (laughs) the Lord was like, I could tell my heart was kind of heavy toward that. And so he was like, don't worry about it. And I was like, ah, no. And that kind of got pushed to the back of my Mm -hmm. head. You know, fast forward many years, got out of college. And again, probably around my early 20s, I was teaching youth ministry at our church. And I grew up uh, at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, which is Tony Evans Church. So a large church, our youth, my senior class, my senior 11th and 12th grade class was like 50, 60 kids. And so we had a great time. It was so fun preparing lessons, teaching um, relevant biblical truth for them, helping the Bible come alive for them. I just remember that high, that rush of getting getting to teach with them and the Lord kind of saying, uh, I have more for you. And I was like, eh, not right now. I'm good, Lord. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually had a friend uh, come up to me out of the blue and she's not even like a weird a dreamer, prophetic friend or anything like that. And those people are awesome, but she's not even that person. She, she was a little afraid herself. And she's like, uh-huh. I had this kind of vision and I need to tell you. I said, okay, what is it? And she was like, the Lord gave me second Timothy four for you. I said, what? And it's preach the word in season, out of season, be ready to approve, rebuke, exhort and all these things. And I was like, okay, that's nice. Thanks. You know, and it just, it, I mean, nothing, it did not resonate with me. I wish I, I wish it had been a moment and it wasn't a moment. Okay. Uh, and it wasn't until many months later that I got married. And because I got married, I had to step down from youth ministry, which was really kind of heartbreaking for me, but youth ministry, if you've ever done student ministry, either you need to be single or both spouses need to be in it because it is mm-hmm. all consuming. It's all consuming, crazy hours and all that stuff. So I had to step down and I was so sad, but I stepped down and literally two weeks later, my own youth ministry, my own student leader, pastor called me and said, hey, we're having our girls banker. Remember, I'd like you to be the keynote. He said, we never let our internal teachers teach because we always like to bring somebody, you know, fresh mm-hmm. in. And have them so she said, he's like, but since you're officially not here anymore, I'd like you to be the keynote. And that was my first ever prepare a talk for a group of people. And um, that then led into other student ministry opportunities, then into women's ministry. So it was a strange turn of events. It was part of 
hearing God, even though I was hesitant, my heart was starting to open, but then he kind of had to force my hand getting, getting married. Wasn't just about getting married for me. It was making me step down from a ministry that was good, but it wasn't what God had for me for the long term, And I would not have done it otherwise. And so I think God uses a combination of things, talking to us, closing doors for us, opening doors for us. And uh, you, you look back and go, okay, now I see what you were doing, you know, and that's kind of been my story. Absolutely. And so were you someone that was, you were raised in the church and that had always just been, not just, but it had been part of your life? Yes. I always had been in church. Um, Grandmother is a, like, pillar of faith in our family. My mother, my father, we, they made us read our word. We had to have devotions. We, yeah, we were always in church. So with that, I mean, people could think like, oh, she must have just felt qualified she must have always just felt equipped when God put that on her heart. So speak a little on that, because I have one of your quotes. You say one of the most dangerous things women do to themselves is disqualification. So I want to hear about from you if you felt that in your life or in this process of growing up in the church and being feeling called to the mission oh. ministry. Right. Yeah. Never, never feel qualified. And that's the funny thing about us. We, whatever we have, we always are like, well, let me point out what I don't have. And so, you know, if you've got shoulder length hair, you're like, but it's not down my back. If I have wavy hair, but it's not curly. It's just, it doesn't matter. So even though I grew up in church, I never felt like, oh, I am ready to go rock it for God. <laughs> I, and I, I think I that's felt- important to hear because we assume, oh, if you grew up in church and went to, you know, Tony Evans no. church, like you're equipped. But no, we no. don't. We struggle with that. Absolutely. And then you're like, I know what I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sitting up under this great teacher. No, thanks. He's got it. I can't be like him. So no, I'm good. And so I, it was other kinds of insecurities because I had been exposed to good teaching and, and because I knew God well enough to know that my life was not worthy of what he was calling me to. You know, I was not a, a pristine, perfect kid. I made mistakes and I was a smart mouth. And Lord knows I was a, a little bit of a crazy child in college as I was trying to find myself. And so I was thinking about my life and I was thinking, uh, no. And and honestly, I felt disqualified because I always felt like, and people who didn't grow up in church would probably laugh at this. I felt like if you didn't grow up in church, you came to know the Lord as an adult. At least you did all your bad stuff before you knew Jesus. <laughs> I was like, I knew Jesus and I still did dumb stuff. So I'm like, no, nobody wants to hear that testimony. Nobody wants to hear you say, I made all these mistakes. And oh, by the way, I got saved when I was six. So I actually knew better. Right. <laughs> right. You know, nobody wants to hear that. So I was just like, Jada, sit down. <laughs> so right. I, I struggled. I struggled for a while just to say yes to that. And so um, it was really the Lord having to, in my college years, actually, where I was kind of doing a lot of searching, had grown up in church. I knew all the things academically and intellectually that were true about God, but there was a disconnect in my heart. And that was a time of me finding my own faith. And I, I encourage any parent who's raised their kids in church, any Christian guy or girl who's in church in their 20s and they start to wonder, is God really there? That is normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's normal. You you need to go through that process of going, is God really there? You start getting exposed to other religions and other ways of thinking. And you're like, 
wait a minute, is mine right? Is Jesus really? And you, you need to go through that process because on the other side of that, God is waiting for you. And then nothing else will be able to question your faith again. And so I, I had to go through that where it wasn't my grandmother's faith. And I wasn't praying because my mom said, and I didn't go to church for many months. Cause I was like, I don't have to go. Yeah. I'm do what I want to do. Yeah. Me and Jesus, I'm going to talk to you right here in my dorm room. Jesus, you're still there. Right. So I had to go through this whole process, you know, of, just exploration. And even in that, God was like, I see what you're doing and I love you. And I'm standing here at the end of this road because you're going to end up with me. I know you're going to end up with me, but you you do what you need to do. And so yeah. I needed that time. And so it was necessary for my personal faith, but to me, it felt disqualifying for my ministry. And so right. it was a, it was a struggle where the Lord had to finally kind of sit me down and say, Hey, I knew from conception the journey your life would take. And my calling, just like Paul says in Galatians 1, that the Lord called me and set me apart from in my mother's womb. My calling is not conditional. The calling comes at conception too. And I know that some of us are going to take the long way to get there. We're going to make the hard way. We make it more difficult, but God doesn't change his calling. And that's what's so beautiful for us that he can look at a Paul and say, even in the midst of him persecuting the church and being having a hand in the death of those who were for God, that God still stood behind that calling. He didn't change his mind. He didn't. He said, he said, a time is going to come, Paul, and you're going to be for me. And all of this craziness will be a part of your story. I'm not going to erase it. I'm not going to whitewash it. I knew it was going to happen. It's still who I, I still have a plan for you. And so Paul's life, David's life, and just my personal talks with God just opened my eyes that God is like, I don't need perfection. I just need obedience. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so good and rich. And it's, I mean, I think that's so profound what you said. And those that are raising Christian, our children in a Christian home need to hear that, that it's okay for them to wander and find their faith and question. Um, because oftentimes that's what God uses to bring them back into a deeper relationship with him. Absolutely. So yeah, they know what home base is. They, they will find their way back. <laughs> so I know. And another thing you say in, um, oh, just like looking at the Rahab study, which we'll dive into and just talk about the Bible study series um, in just a little bit, but you talk about your past having purpose. And would you say that's the part of your past that probably has the most purpose that God has used for where you are now? Just that part of wondering and finding Jesus on your own? Yes. Um, and even down to the age, because I love women of all ages, but even the ladies at my church will tell you that I'm biased toward our 20 somethings. Mm -hmm. And it's not to be young and cool and hip. It's because I know that that was a significant juncture in my own life. And so I just believe had someone had I been around much more intentional, hands on, like had this different awareness of biblical truth, I wouldn't have had to take the detour. And so I'm trying to encourage our high school girls, our college girls, you don't have to live crazy and then come back to church when you're 30 and have a story. Like you don't have right. to have it. <laughs> so you can right. just love Jesus in a way. And so um, that is a part of my passion. And and I think because I grew up under such a brilliant theologian in Tony Evans, mm -hmm. for me, 
I was one of my spiritual gifts is wisdom in, in another one's teaching and things like that. So for me, I listened to him and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I understood what he was saying, but I did not necessarily circle it back around to that practical, applicable, like, oh, this is how my life's going to be different because of it. Um, because I love the study of the word. I think I feasted more on the intellectual part of it than the heart change part of it. And mm-hmm. so that I think contributed to my wandering in college. I had a lot of knowledge, but not a lot of faith. And so um, that that is a huge driver in my ministry to try to know is know and be diligent and study God's word so that I can present it in a simple. Here's how your life must be different because of this. This is not just a good story. Like if you understand this, here's how you will think differently. And that's huge for me to make it simple and plain and use everyday illustrations so people can say, oh, this is like necessary for my life. Right. To be very practical and relevant. And that is what I felt. I, so I went through, I've been going through the summer is the um, Know My Name series, but I've just been going through Rahab. And that's what I feel in that. Like you, you and the other teachers just make it so practical, practical and relevant. Like who would think, oh, we can relate to Rahab, a prostitute. Um, no, we wouldn't put her at the top of our list, but you all make it so that we can relate. So just talk a little bit about that study, how it came about, um, and then why you chose the three women that you did. Um, mm-hmm. So several questions there. So tell us how God right. used you for that. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. <clears throat> that was, so uh, our editor, a woman named Sarah Remersard, just at at Harper Collins really kind of called me out of the blue. She's like, I got this idea. I'm gonna do something different. And what's odd is that I'm a Bible teacher and I love the Bible. And I had never done a Bible study. <laughs> never. Like as a never done a Bible study. So like I you had never them. like led never. like when you say that, what do you tell us what you mean? I mean like, I had never gone to buy the amazing and awesome Beth Moore. Okay. That's what I my thought, own Beth. My own best friend, Priscilla Shire, who shames me all the time. Um, I mean, all these great resources. And I yeah. and I just had never gone to buy. I was just because my bent is just study the Bible. <laughs> so I was like, I'm good. You know, and, so, and when I teach on Wednesday night, it's from my study. I study, I come up with lessons and I teach. So I had never done it. And so I really didn't know kind of how they, I only knew how they went because I'd been to tapings. Again, Priscilla's like a very dear friend. So I'd gone to tapings to support her. So I knew generally how they went. So I was there called, but I knew that I didn't feel like it fit me and how I like to teach because I, I kind of like, if I'm going to listen for 45 minutes, I'd rather be live, you know, but I get it. I know people are in different places and they don't have access to that. So I just never had really pursued doing something like that. So when Sarah called, I was like, eh, I don't know if I'm a Bible study girl. She's like, no, this this idea. <laughs> so <laughs> she was like, kicking around this idea of adding a creative element, the drama piece, which I'm over creative arts in my church. So that spoke to me. She talked about having the sessions be like 20 minutes. That spoke to me. Cause I was like, gosh, people don't always have the attention span. This current generation is not the generation of long year long Bible study plans and long attention span. We are a scrolling generation. We want five quotes on Instagram, two tweets, three quotes on Facebook, and we feel recharged. Um, And so I was just leery of doing something that had been the more traditional format. And those formats, by the way, are great and effective for a certain audience. 
But I knew our church is so full of unchurched and young believers. I knew that those kind of formats would be a challenge. So when she came to me and wanted to do something short and creative, we did that. And we really kind of all brainstormed. She came up with the women. I'm not taking any credit for that. These are women because okay. this editor, our editor leads a Bible study in a local church with 30 gotcha. women. So she she's in the trenches and she knows kind of that thing. And so she came up with the three women. And honestly, all of us were like, ooh, Rahab. And we we're like, eh, hey, girl, Naomi. All right. Then. <laughs> we'll find something. And uh, once, once we got, I mean, Rahab's spicy. I mean, I, she was my spirit twins. I was like, oh, yeah, I told you to get Rahab. Um, but once we got into the study, man, Hagar and Naomi surprised us. We were like, oh, snap, God knows what he's doing. <laughs> so yeah. it was just fascinating all the way around. And I think those three women cover a wide spectrum uh, and overlapping issues that we all still face today. Yeah. And so just to update, not update, just to let our listeners know, Casey Van Norman and Nicole Johnson are the others that um, helped write and tape and all of that with this Bible study. And we'll have be talking to them too about what they contributed to um, with the study and their stories as well. But like you said, you felt like Rahab is kind of like who you could most relate to. Is that right? Yes. So tell a little yes. bit about that. Cause I do know when it, another, <laughs> another, you know, if you're, if so you're were you shared, a prostitute Jada? <laughs> So I think that, okay, so I'm, I'm going to go conceptual here. I know legitimately that Rahab was a prostitute, um, but I look at everything in context. A prostitute in a highly sexualized pagan culture is like a teacher in our culture. So it's wrong, but the culture condones it. The culture drives you toward things like that. And so it was wrong, but it's, I don't think that Rahab woke up and said, I'm about to go against the grain and do this prostitution thing. I think it was just what she was born into. This was a, a way to make money, just like it is today for a lot of women. And it, it was much more conducive to her culture than it would be even in ours today. And so I look at that. And so what I saw in her was this lady who kind of had a bit of a hustle to her. You know, she was a she was she worked hard and and what she did for work may not be honoring or honorable to us. But when you look at the way she interacted with those spies, I mean, she was kind of a beast. She was a negotiator. She was not intimidated by these men who she did not know. She, as a female, was the provider for her family. So she had family she was taking care of. The fact that she even had a flax of stock kind of uh, stock. Uh, flats on her rooftop and things like that kind of lead to her industriousness and the fact that she was not just a you know woman kind of living it up and doing her own thing she was a selfless a family first a provider who who did work that she probably felt like she had to do and I think there's a lot of women whether it's that or they're in some job that they think is not their best, not honoring to them. Uh, I think a lot of us do things, especially when we become mothers and providers in our family. We do things that we may not think uh, are worthy of us, but we do it because there's more important things that need to be taken care of. And so I know plenty of women who work multiple jobs or we've gotten a ministry to um, to dancers, to erotic dancers in our community. They're regular girls. They're regular girls. Some of, some of them are in college. Some of them have kids. Some of them are taking care of their parents. And so 
I saw that in her and I was like, she's just a hustler. I, I love that about her. But I also love that she wasn't intimidated by these guys. And in, this co- in that time, it was a big deal to be talking to a woman. And so she was just like, hey, let me let me negotiate this deal. I know what you need, but I need a promise from you, because even in that moment, she was like, oh, I've been waiting on a way out from my family, not just me, from my family. And so she did that. And then she kind of outsmarted what she knew was coming. She told him, she's like, I want you to go hide in the desert for three days. People are going to come after you. Then do this, do this. And they said, "Okay, we're going to we're going to keep our word to you. So she lied and she was dishonest. But number one, I don't, I don't know if she was a believer yet. We're not sure about that. And if she was, and then she was doing what she thought was best. There was a, there was an integrity, if you will, to her dishonesty because she thought, hey, I'm protecting God's men. And even in this crazy culture, somehow or another, her heart had been open to God because she said, we have heard about what your God did and our hearts trembled. And so she's a reminder to me that you could be, you don't have to have the best family background, the best history, the best church life, the best culture. God always makes opportunity for us to see him. And if our heart is open, we will see him. And then he will sometimes bring that opportunity right to our door. And the last thing about Rahab is that she had this patience and steadfastness because we don't, when we read the Bible, oftentimes, you know, you're reading chapter and verse, chapter and verse, it just kind of all flows, but that is not the chronology of what actually happened. You know, there's times and weeks and months between that. They go see her then they're in the desert three days. Then they go back to camp. They report to camp. Then the millions of children of Israel cross the Jordan. And then the men get circumcised. They got to sit, they got to heal, go through that whole deal, have a festival. Then they come back to Jericho. Then even when they get there is seven days. So she's sitting there like, all right, I know they said they were coming, but she's got to somehow, she's got to somehow live in her current reality and still remain hopeful. Mm. And that's what we all have to do. We have to yeah. say, I know a promise was made to me and I don't see it coming. And I might even tell myself, I've got this red rope hanging out of my window. Somebody might ask what it's for, but I got to still live in hope, even though my current hasn't changed just yet. And man, that's all of us. Well, that's all of us. God has said yeah. something or given us some inclination that things might change. And we're like, when, when he's like, be faithful. Just stay where you are and I promise you, I'll bring it to pass. And so there was just so much in her story to me, not only her personality, but just how God worked out his providence in her story that just, I think, resonated with me and and people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it has been just like I said, going through the study, it's been fascinating just digging in more. I mean, we just so get stuck in that surface of the label with her that she was a prostitute. And you talk about Mm -hmm. that, like how we all get kind of stereotyped into these labels in our life and we can relate to that. But then your description of Rahab goes so much beyond, okay, yeah, she's a prostitute, but I mean, you even in the study relate her to the Proverbs 31 woman, which that's not something something that's typically done. I know. Clutch your pearls. They're like, what? The Proverbs 31 woman, she (laughs) is the epitome of something. (laughs) Right. And it's like. She is, though. I mean, she was in Proverbs 31 woman was industrious and family oriented and other centered. And she burned the midnight oil. And you may not like what Rahab was doing at midnight, but I guarantee you she was burning the midnight oil. And she.
she she was industrious. She worked with her family. She was a provider. She was a negotiator, just like the Proverbs 31 woman would go out and see real estate and negotiate business deals. Rahab was like, hey, hey, I'll help you, but here's what I need in return. And so yeah. I, I love that because the core character of who we are can always be um, hidden by our context. And, and we might not see it in ourselves, but God has given us all the ability to know him, to respond to him, to live for him. And man, it's amazing how if you just change the context, you know, a rags to riches, an extreme makeover kind of thing, if you will, how different we all look when our outfit changes, when our surroundings change. And so I'm just saying, don't, don't shut yourself down and don't shut others down just because the cover of the book doesn't, doesn't look like you think it should. There's, there's a core to who we all are um, that I think God, God speaks deeply to. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, I love just hearing women's stories because we're so much, we're so much more than that, than our outside surface. There's so much more behind those pages and those chapters. So talking about the label that Rahab had and how you can relate to her on some things, have you ever struggled with a certain label, a stereotype on you? I mean, you're obviously a woman, you're African-American, like were those labels that you've had to get past to become fully who God has wanted you to be? Absolutely. And that's still a struggle, you know, um, especially being African-American, this country. I mean, we, we have times where we take a couple steps forward, but we then take several steps backwards. It's mm-hmm. just an ongoing struggle, which it probably will be, and t- you know, on this side of heaven. It's just the reality of where we are. So that's that's always a struggle. Being a female, when I was in college and first job out of college, I was in an IT firm. And this was a long time ago in the 90s when it went a lot of women in IT. So I was the only female. I was the only person under 30. I was the only person of color. So it was like trying to earn respect, you know, and all those kinds of things. But um, even here in this season of of being in kind of this sweet spot with God, I still have to deal with my own insecurities because I've always been, you know, the loud one, the one that's just kind of a little too much. You know, I was the girl that guys wanted as their good friend, not their girlfriend, because I was, <laughs> I was just a lot. I was a lot. And I was a bit of a tomboy and all that stuff. And so there's still times where I, even I'm teaching and I'm like, ah, is that too much? Is that too harsh? Is that too? And those things, they kind of always are churning in your mind. And, and you have to have these constant dialogues with the Holy Spirit to say, okay, God, is this, is this right? Is this what you want for me? And, um, he constantly affirms me. That doesn't mean that there's not things I got to work on and I'm constantly trying to grow and develop and sharpen my character, but God's, I believe God's philosophy is that you work while you're being worked on. So just because you got to work on stuff, doesn't mean you freeze <laughs> until it gets right. Because right, that'll never happen. You, you do the work even while you're being worked on. And so the labels are there, but you just got to got to constantly tell yourself what's true and, and work through that with God. And as far as being a woman and a pastor, have you met resistance with that? Or are you, your church home obviously is good with that, but have you felt society of resistance with that? Has that been a struggle? Um, not so much. I am a technically, I'm a pastor of women at our church. I'm not okay. one of our elders and not on our pastoral staff, quote unquote. Okay. Um, I'm certainly a shepherd and overseer, especially for our women, but, and I teach sometimes on the weekend, but my, we, we tend to, we tend to err on the side of conservative with that. And 
it, it's easier to just err on the side of conservative and not let that be some banner that you tout. And as right. the Lord brings ministry opportunities, minister where you can. There's been times where I've had opportunities to speak to mixed audiences. It's mostly women, but there's times where I speak to mixed audiences. And that's not even my sweet spot, but there's times I know the Lord has given me an opportunity. And so I'm able to say yes, because like Rahab, I have a comfort level with teaching. With right. Teaching. Men and right. I. So and maybe... Not- Literally. And maybe that's, that's not even a can of worms I want to, <laughs> should open. I was, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I was like, I probably asked it. I'm like, oh goodness, we could go in all different ways with, <laughs> with this. One. I know. And, it, um, but, and it's a question I get. And I, and it's, for me, it's proven to be a thing that I'm like, you know what? This may not be my sweet spot. This might not, this is not where I live theologically because I, I, I probably am more conservative than what I come across, but the Lord has given me a comfort. Because when the opportunity has called for it, I've been able to minister and, and, and trust him. And sometimes he just gives us just enough comfort to deal with a certain situation that might be out of our norm so the ministry can go forward. And then he can bring you back to home base. And so I, I do think if you decide to <laughs> keep that in there, uh, I think it has it has some merit for those of us who are probably being stretched and challenged in some ways. But Right. And I think it goes back to, I think, why... Why I ask that is just it goes back to the whole label thing or women feeling like they're not qualified because they are a woman or because they are a minority or whatever. It's like we we need to let go of those labels and focus on what God is leading us and has us marked for. Um, because would you say all I mean, I would say God wants to use all women um, that are his daughters for his purpose. And, and it's not it might not be advancing. Um, the kingdom through preaching to 1300 women every other week, but other ways, I think God is calling each of us to serve him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in significant ways too, not just in uh, what we might think are kind of auxiliary, less important things, but in really significant ways. And so I think the gifts are for everybody. Everybody can have every gift. Now, the role that you choose to carry that gift out through may look different um, depending on your context or what God what God has called you to. But if you look at these women, I mean, Hagar was a servant. She actually came from royalty is what legend says, but she was a servant. Um, she was in a uh, submissive role. You know, we've all been in that role where we didn't have the power, you know, and Rahab certainly didn't have a shiny background. And Naomi seemed to kind of have it together, but she had a lot of uh, mental challenges because of the way she saw herself. So much that so much so that she renamed herself. And, you know, that's just true for a lot of people in church, in church, even, you know, the things that we're struggling with mental health and the labels that we're putting on ourselves. And so it doesn't really matter where where you've come from. Um, uh, If you are a female or male, God, God has great, great plans for you. And so, you know, all of our stories are different, but they all lead to something that's going to bring him glory and make make an eternal impact. That's yes, absolutely. So I know we will wrap up here because I know you've got um, to get going to plan get together for your for your family trip. But what would you say? Just one last question, then we'll talk about where to find you and order the Bible study. But to the woman that does still feel underqualified or unqualified for what she feels like God wants her to use besides to do your Bible study, what is just kind of one like bit of encouragement that you would say? Yeah, I would say that. Um, number one, you've got to make a decision and acknowledge that God's word and God's truth is more important than your truth. Um, we're in a culture that says, hey, you know, embrace your truth, your own truth. Well, our truth is wrong a lot. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. We either think too highly of ourselves or we think too lowly of ourselves. And so 
asking God, God, what is true about me? This not even spiritual things. What is true about me? I love joy. I love beauty. I am a great connector. I know how to make friends. I'm an encourager. I'm a problem solver. What's true about me? Because those things have nothing to do with my mistakes and my decisions and my story. This is just who God made me to be. And so start looking at those things and then say, okay, Here's how you made me. Here's what's true about me. Now, gosh, look at these pain points in my life, my story, things like that. And and I've asked people, write all these things out on a post-it note or on several Mm -hmm. sheets of paper and just put it put it on a table somewhere and you don't have to make sense of it. Just set it out there and keep walking by it and pray about it and think about it. And all of a sudden God will start to make sense of all those pieces that may seem disconnected. And, And he'll show you that, no, you're actually only qualified in me, but all of these things are going to work um, for something greater. But I, I, I say, start off with what you know is true about you, what God says is true, not anybody else, what God says is true. And then get into, you know, life story and things like that and see how God might want to use you in a really unique way. Right. That's so good. And I think going back to your story, it is a process. I mean, you felt the call to something missions when you were 15, but that's not really where God landed you, but it was a process Uh to get to where you're at of God working in your heart and you questioning and going your own way a little bit, but God brought you back to him. So I think we have to acknowledge that process too. And he is who qualifies each and every one of us. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, even with the missions thing, I that's kind of been on file. <laughs> I, know, I know it was the Lord. And I got to do one trip in Africa before we had kids. And it was the highest high I've ever oh, felt. So it, it's still there. It is still it's there. there. And so I'm just kind of like, I know what's going to happen, Lord. My kids yeah. are going to get older. And then I'm going to be more comfortable leaving the country and things like that. But it hasn't gone away. Some things God just kind of lets germinate for a little bit, you know, let's marinate. So I, I'm not even counting it out. I'm just like, well, and another well, scene. Here's, here's my takeaway from your telling me that when you're 15, I have a 16 year old that also told me when she was 15, she feels called to the mission. So your story gave me hope. Maybe oh. she won't be just going off to other countries. All the time. <laughs> Maybe she'll wait 20 years. <laughs> I don't know. She's a, she's in Nicaragua right now. So I've had, oh, yeah. that's another story. I've had to, God's worked with me to let, let her go. Um, anyway, so Jada, tell us where you can be found if people want to, cause you do have some other resources and smaller studies that you've written, the captive mind, thirst, be bold, all of those things. So tell us where we can yeah. find those. You're on it. They're all on my website and they come out of our Bible studies. My Bible studies that I teach twice a month, they have turned into books. And uh, so that's jadaedwards.com is uh, the website that I pretty much keep everything on. I have a ministry page on Facebook. It's just Jada Edwards. Um, You can find me there. I'm on Instagram. I think it's Jada underscore Edwards. Yeah, I'm everywhere because I actually like social media. <laughs> so I know I I heard you talk about that in another. I don't know if it was in the study or another podcast because I'm struggling <laughs> with social media right now. I'm actually off social media for the summer. So then oh, you, now, you. Then, then I hear from you. You love it, and I'm like, God, I don't I know, do. the good or bad. <laughs> I do, but I, I still have to manage it. I know I got to turn it off sometimes and things like that. But it's a good tool, man. It's a good I tool, and I, I know yeah, people it's, you're trying to reach and. It's a good tool. It can be, I, sometimes I don't like to throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. Uh, I, I try and to I, say, and, okay. And I think God speaks to each of us differently. I feel like he's told me mm-hmm. for to be off of it for the summer, but um, 
I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> okay, we'll put links to all of the the website, everything that you just mentioned, Jada. We'll put them on the show notes um, to this podcast. So thank you so much for talking today. I sure just, just loved our conversation and chatting with you. Well, thanks so much for inviting me. It was fun. My conversation with Jada was recorded this past summer as part of a three-part series of conversations with women who are the creators of the Known by Name Bible Study. Be sure to join us next week for part two of the series when I talk to Casey Van Norman. You won't want to miss her story about the wilderness she walked through for much of her life, yet finally realizing that no part of our story is wasted in our journey with the Lord. As always, check out the Her Story Speaks website at herstoryspeaks.com for links to the Bible studies we mentioned in the show. Bye.